0: All right, Braves fans, let's get rolling. I'm George McNair and this is State of the Braves. Well guys, I mentioned this to you last episode, but I have a special episode for you. At least I think it's a special episode. You know, we are in the midst of maybe a little bit of a dead time uh in the uh, in the offseason. Uh you know, there's so, there's a little bit of news here and there and you know, Alex Anthopoulos just got uh his extension, which I think was really important for the Braves, but in this episode, I want to look back and you know, uh this This podcast is for Braves fans. I've been a Braves fan since 1991. And, you know, with that, it's not just about the current team. I mean, of course, that's our primary focus, but I think it's always really cool to look back in history and think through some of the great Braves teams, some of the great Braves players and great Braves moments. And we've been fortunate, even though as a Braves fan, we've experienced a lot of playoff Heartbreak and disappointment. We've had two World Series. We've been in more, m- many more World Series and so many playoffs, right? And so many great moments. And I'm sure a lot of fans of other teams would love to have the playoff disappointment that we've had because we've been there, right? We've had great teams. We've had um, those opportunities and we have thankfully won two World Series. So the point of this episode is I want to look back and think through and give you my top six all-time favorite Braves, but um, it's not just any Brave, okay? I want to remove the the Stars, and so I'm going to call these the, the my six favorite Braves Non-Stars, and so because I'm calling them Non-Stars, most of these players were still very, very good. Um, some of them made All-Star teams. And yet, here's how I'm defining non-stars. Okay, um, they they played from first off I want to give you a time frame they played from 1991 to the present so this is during my Braves fandom Um, I was a little 7 year old when I started watching the Braves in 1991 and it was great timing of course because they went on to the World Series that year and I was hooked from that point some of you might have very similar experience to me some of you might be younger and can only look in YouTube some of those great moments Um, some of you are older and you can go way back into the 70s and 80s and that sort of thing but um, Um, That's where I'm going to go from 91 to present day. Okay. I'm pulling from those pool of players now because they're non-stars. I'm going to say that typically these guys that I'm going to choose of these top six of my favorite are um, no more than two all-star appearances in their career. Or um, if they had three or more seasons of top 15 MVP finishes, I'm going to say um, they don't qualify either. They were, they were a star, basically, if, if they were able to do that. Uh, they can't be in the Hall of Fame or in the Braves Hall of Fame. And they're not going to be current Braves, okay? So I'm looking in the past. I'm not choosing from the current Braves. If I were, by the way, um, with these other parameters, I might say Tyler Matzik. I might say Michael Harris II, though I think he's going to have multiple all-star appearances when it's all said and done and maybe some top 15 MVP finishes as well. But that's where I'm going with this. Uh, I think this is fun because it forces me to kind of dig into some of the other fun Braves, uh, good Braves, but you know not megastars uh, that we tend to think about. Um, so I hope you enjoy this. I'm sure you guys have other favorite Braves in, of the past that I won't include, uh, but these are mine. But hopefully, it at least um, you know kind of causes you to to think back through some of these great Brave seasons and great Braves players. All right, guys. So you should be able to see if you're following on YouTube, you can see my screen and the parameters that I've already mentioned that I set out. Again, uh, we're working off of my Braves fandom, so 1991 to present day. Basically, no big time stars, um, you know, Hall of Famers, Braves Hall of Famers, uh, multiple time All Stars beyond two All Star appearances, that sort of thing, and can't be a current Brave. So um, let's jump into it, and I'm actually going to start uh, by talking about who. Is not on the list, right? And just kind of go through these guys again. So we're very clearly saying, look, I love these guys. I'm just not including them in my list because they're basically too good, right? And, of course, the five Hall of Famers that played during this era, during my Braves fandom, uh, Greg Maddox, John Smoltz, Tom Glavin, of course, those three great pitchers, kind of have to mention them all together, um, Fred McGriff who just got in the Hall of Fame this year. So happy for him. Actually, if I had to uh, choose my favorite Brave of all time, it probably is Fred McGriff. Um, But again, too good for this discussion today. And then Chipper Jones, who I also love. I mean, what Braves fan doesn't love Chipper? Um, 19 years in the big leagues, all of them with the Braves, uh, over uh, 450 career home runs, um, all that good stuff. So, These guys are just on a next level. I'm sure many of you uh, would say one of these guys is your favorite Brave ever, but we're going to move on from those guys. And then Braves Hall of Famers, right? Braves Hall of Famers would uh, include Terry Pendleton, David Justice, Javi Lopez, Andrew Jones, and Tim Hudson. So um, some of you might have not even known that Tim Hudson was in the Braves Hall of Fame. Hudson to me is uh kind of an interesting brave just because he came along after that great Braves, 14 straight uh, NL East titles and, um, you know, the Braves had some good teams during his tenure. He was a very solid pitcher for them for quite a few years, but I think sometimes he gets lost in the shuffle. But, uh, very good Brave. And then, of course, Terry Pendleton won an MVP. Uh, David Justice was a, was a terrific Brave for a lot of years, especially in those early years. Of course, hit, uh, maybe the most important home run in Braves history in the 95 World Series, game six. Braves win that game one to nothing, of course. Uh Javi Lopez. Uh, just tremendous offensive catcher and Andrew Jones, who is in the Braves Hall of Fame, had his number retired this year, and hopefully very soon is going to enter the MLB Hall of Fame. So uh, these guys are also not going to be included in the discussion I'm having today. All right, so the other guys that I'm still deeming too good, you know, these are still I would say stars of the Braves past, um, and I'll just list them off and go through them kind of kind of quick. Quickly. Ron Gant, two-time All-Star. You know, kind of interesting career in that only a two-time All-Star, but Gant actually had four top-15 MVP finishes in the early '90s. Uh, all when he was with the Braves, uh, had some terrific years. Um, could have you could have argued he was maybe the best player actually in some of those early '90s teams. Um, and then, you know, unfortunately the, the end of his Braves career was not great. if you don't know that story, um, in the off season, 1994, before spring training, he breaks his leg in a dirt bike accident. Uh, he was only under contract for one more season. So the Braves ended up cutting him, um, in that season never plays again with the Braves moves on has some some more good years during his career was never quite um the same though never finished in the top 15 top 20 in an MVP race again um and you know he was kind of on the edge of a 30-30 guy when he was with the Braves and um you know, never never quite regained that level of play again. Uh, but Ron Gantt was a very good brave for the time he was there. Uh, Marquise Grissom, uh, you know, center fielder, two-time All-Star. Again, also similar to Gantt, two-time All-Star. Had four top 15 MVP finishes throughout his career. Now, he wasn't a brave for all that many seasons, but he was a key contributor to the 95 team that won the World Series. Uh, terrific center field defense and a really good offensive player as well. Um, Kenny Lofton, also center fielder. Now, not many Braves fans are going to say that Kenny Lofton is their favorite Brave. Number one, he was only with the Braves for one year, but also the way that Kenny Lofton came to Atlanta was not super popular because the Braves traded away Grissom and David Justice uh, for Kenny Lofton and just one year of Kenny Lofton. In my mind, that is one of the worst trades that John Sherholtz ever made. It was a salary dump kind of trade, and probably You know the Braves were able to keep other stars because he made that that deal, but uh, definitely not a popular move. Kenny Lofton had a good year with the Braves; it wasn't his best year ever, but you know he was a six-time All-Star and a very good. Some people would argue he's one of the best players to not be in the Hall of Fame. uh, You know, at least from modern times. So wanted to at least mention him. Andres Galarraga, uh, five-time All-Star. You know, he came in kind of replacing Fred McGriff. I had a hard time with that because I love Fred McGriff so much. But then I actually loved Andres Galarraga too. The big cat uh, had some great Braves years during his time. He also had a year that he missed due to cancer and then came back and had an All-Star season after that. I mean, who doesn't love that kind of story? So Galarraga, um, actually, he might... if he didn't if he wasn't a five time All-Star, um I, I might have put him on my list today. Uh but he's too good. So he he doesn't make that list. But definitely wanted to mention him. Gary Sheffield, nine time All-Star. Only played a few years in Atlanta. Probably had one of his best seasons ever as a brave. And, of course, love that swing of his, that very unique Gary Sheffield swing. Um, but nine-time All-Star and is on the fringe of making the Hall of Fame this year. It's his last year to potentially get voted in, so we'll see if he makes it. Uh, Raphael call I think a lot of you guys would consider for call one of your favorite Braves. Very fun player to watch. Um, and in terms of, you know, this list, the only shortstop I've got on the list, the Braves, um, you know, have had good shortstops over the years. Um, there's, it's kind of funny in this whole run, uh, the Braves have had some all-stars at shortstop, but not somebody you would call, you know, fringy hall of fame or that sort of thing. But for call was a very good player, three-time all-star and actually made the All Star team with three different teams. He also played for the Dodgers and the uh, St. Louis Cardinals near the end of his career, but probably had his best uh, seasons as a whole with the Braves. Uh, speedy runner, good good defensive shortstop, good offensive player, just all around really good player. Uh, Justin Upton, four time All Star. Uh, Upton was more just a pure. Power guy, not a particularly great defensive outfielder, um, you know. And he had some good seasons with the Braves, but then moved on as the Braves were starting to rebuild. Uh, Billy Wagner, seven-time All Star, uh, only played one year with the Braves. It was his last year. He also might become a Hall of Famer this year. Um, so he only had that one year with the Braves, but it was very good—a good way for him to go out on top uh, as an All Star. Now, Brian McCann, probably some of you guys would consider McCann your favorite Brave. Um, you know, anytime you go to a Braves game at Truist Park, you're going to see a lot of McCann jerseys. Um, he's just, you know, and he's up there on, on the screen. He just, a, a nice guy, fun guy, uh, but also a true competitor. Um, you know, just a, a lot of good memories of McCann and Jeff Rancor out there together, but he was a seven time All Star. So definitely, um, I would likely think he's going to be a Braves Hall of Famer here soon. You know, they usually add one or two guys a year to that, so I would look for that to come pretty soon for McCann. Uh, Craig Kimbrell uh, makes this list, still playing, nine-time All-Star. Uh, his first few All-Star appearances were with the Braves, came up with the Braves, and definitely had his best seasons as a closer early in his career with Atlanta. Uh, it's hard to. Uh, love Kimbrel now. yeah you know, he's been a Philly. he's he's bounced all around the league now he's with the Orioles, uh, but nonetheless, uh, those early years with Kimberl were pretty fun. And then Freddie Freeman, of course, also makes this list a seven time All Star and MVP. Uh, now playing with the Dodgers. I don't have to tell you guys that. But uh, with the Braves, you know, certainly a future Braves Hall of Famer and honestly, guys, a future Hall of Famer as well. So he makes this list, but again, way too good to be considered a non star, uh, one of my favorite non stars with the Braves. All right. So I had to go through all those guys because I want wanted to eliminate them all. If you guys, you know, if I had just moved on to my top six non-stars and then I didn't include somebody, uh, I wanted you to understand why I didn't include them. Uh, so all that being said, let's move on to my honorable mentions. So these are guys that just didn't quite make the list, but I still love these guys and have a lot of fond memories of them. So in no particular order, honestly, I'm just going to group all these guys together. I mean, if you're looking on the screen, they are listed one through eight, but uh, it's really hard for me to, you know, they, all of these guys just kind of didn't quite make my top six, but Jorge Soler, Matt Diaz, I mean, think as, you know, if I'm listing these guys off, some of you might remember these guys, Dion Sanders. Uh, Coach Prime, uh, Francisco Cabrera, Martín Prado, Jeff Rancor, Steve Avery, and uh, Michael Soroka, who of course is the most recent guy on this list. But Soler, you know, the twenty twenty-one World Series MVP, so many big home runs, uh, you know, a pure power hitter that had had a bad year um, in Kansas City before the Braves brought him over. And he just went off, right? And he had a tremendous run and played a huge role in the Braves winning their World Series in 2021. Just a magical, uh, run for him and especially a magical World Series. Remember, he missed the NLCS, uh, due to COVID and came back and then just, um, you know, hit, uh, he led off. I mean, sometimes we forget that he led off the World Series with a home run. And then he had, of course, that huge three run homer, uh, in game six. Matt Diaz, some of you, uh, maybe don't remember him. Um, he was kind of in the mid two thousands and had some really good seasons with the Braves. He hit over 300 over a three year period as kind of their fourth outfielder occasionally filled in if there was injury. And, uh, he kind of came out of nowhere and played a majority of his career with the Braves. And, um, you know, I always just really enjoyed him as a hitter. He would hit the ball the other way. He always seemed to hit the ball hard somewhere and, uh, you know, wasn't certainly wasn't considered a star, but a really good player. Now, Deion Sanders, we all know Dion, and right now we know him as Coach Prime. And before that, we knew him as, you know, a Hall of Fame defensive back in the NFL. But, you know, Dion Sanders and Bo Jackson, right, the two great two-way players who played football and baseball, And, you know, Dion um, coming up with the Braves in 90, 91, 92. I mean, he he played some uh, some big games and uh, really played well, especially in 1992. So guys, I cannot stress to you enough how impressive Deion Sanders was in 1992. He played for both the Atlanta Falcons and the Atlanta Braves, full-time with the Falcons, part-time with the Braves, but he was a a pro bowl cornerback, of course, with the Atlanta Falcons, running back kicks, doing everything he did as prime time, and then with the Braves in part-time duty, he was basically playing at an all-star level, and to prove that, so Fangraphs had him in 1992 with a 3.3 war season. He hit 303 with eight home runs and 26 stolen bases with the Braves again in part time duty. He did that incredibly impressive. And then of course, he played in the 92 World Series against the Blue Jays. And if the Braves had won that World Series, he probably would have been the World Series MVP. He hit 533 in the World Series with five stolen bases. Again, he didn't play in every game, but he was remarkable anytime he got in the game in 1992. So, Dion was, you know, he is a polarizing figure today, Coach Prime, but um, as a brave, everybody said he was a great teammate, you know, he has this um, this aura about him or whatever, you know, he's kind of created primetime for him it's definitely a character. He's talked about that too, right? It's his, like, personal or It's his um, persona that he puts out to the public, but everybody would say he's a great teammate and I always liked the flash that he played with and the guy was so crazy fast and I also always wondered if he had just obviously made a good decision he was a hall of famer in football but if he had made the decision to play baseball every day I wonder how good he actually could have been all right. So my number four is Francisco Cabrera. Need I say much? He has one of the biggest hits in Braves history, of course, bringing in Sid Bream from second base, sending the Braves to the 92 World Series and to, you know, the story of Cabrera being not only the he wasn't a backup catcher; he was the third catcher off the bench. He was the last guy off the bench, basically in that situation. Bobby Cox was forced to pinch hit the guy, and he came through. And you know what a special moment. Uh, still, maybe my favorite moment uh, in Braves history. Number five, Martín Prado. Again, we're in honorable mentions, uh, but Martín Prado uh, went from a part-time middle infielder to you know early in his career to winning the second base job, and then he was kind of forced to play um, all over the diamond as more of a utility guy. He he had a full season in left field, but wherever he was put, he was a great hitter with a great approach, and probably exceeded most people's expectations of him. He had a five-year, just a great five-year stretch with the Braves from 08 to 2012. And two of those seasons were especially awesome. Uh, he had 2010 and 2012. He had um, top 20 MVP years. And throughout that whole five-year stretch, he hit 296 as a Brave. So just a great hitter, great player. Everybody loves him. And respects Martín Prado. Uh, Jeff Francoeur, of course, broke into baseball with a bang in 20. 20- uh, or sorry, in 2005, uh, he only played half of that season. You know, his first career, uh, hit was a grand slam. Uh, he was kind of lauded as the next big thing, um, in baseball, not just as a brave. He couldn't live up to that, but he did have his first three years as a brave were pretty darn good. He finished third in rookie of the year in 05. Um, and that season especially was was really cool. You know, that was the last of the 14 straight division championships, and it was probably the most unlikely of those championships. The baby Braves all together came up. You know, Francoeur and McCann and Kelly Johnson and all those guys, and helped um, the older Braves win one more NL East title. Uh Frank Kore, like I said, his first three years were really good. Um he followed up his third place rookie of the year. Finish with, uh, let's see, in 06, he hit 29 home runs. In um, 07, he hit 293 and won a gold glove. Uh, but it kind of went downhill for, for him from there. Struggled greatly in 08 and 09. Was traded to the Mets, which just stinks that Frank Orr ever had to play for the Mets. Um, he did have a bounce-back year in Kansas City in 2011. Uh, but after that, he was pretty much a fourth outfielder. The rest of his career, he did come back to Atlanta in 2016, which was his last season, uh, last year in Turner field, all that stuff. And then he got traded at the deadline that year to Miami, finished his career with Miami. So, you know, Frank core is a fixture in Atlanta today. He's a beloved Guy, he just played with fun and everybody loved him. He's very outgoing uh, and engaging guy. Uh, Core serves as a Braves announcer today and um, just really like Jeff Francoeur. Always pulled for him. Steve Avery, uh, you know, I don't have many pitchers. Actually, he's the only pitcher I'm going to talk about today in my, you know, uh, even in honorable mentions, much less the top six. But I really liked Avery when he came up. He was my favorite of those um, that era of Braves pitchers. Uh, lefty, who really dominated baseball when he came in, uh, he, he made his debut as a 20-year-old, and then in his age 21 season, he finished sixth in Cy Young voting that year, really just dominated and, and helped the Braves, of course, win that first division title making it all the way to the world series 91 through 90 93 was his time um he just was spectacular through all three of those seasons and his career trajectory honestly looked better than Glavin or Smoltz um he probably was better I mean Glavin won a Cy Young during that time but but that three-year stretch was maybe he was maybe the best Braves pitcher um, but Injury struck, especially to his shoulder, and he started going downhill. He still was very, uh, very much a part of the core of the Braves through 94 through 96. Uh, helped the Braves win the World Series in 95. Had a really big start in the 95 World Series. And I'm so glad that Steve Avery was a part of that 95 World Series team that he got his ring with the Braves because he was as big as a contributor to the Braves in that the early nineties run as anybody was. Uh so you know, again, loved Avery, loved that delivery. Um and he was really passionate and like fiery on the mound. And I think that's why I connected with him as a young kid. I really pulled for Avery. Um all right, and then my my next uh, – I do have one more pitcher, actually, on the list, and it's Michael Soroka. If you guys have followed this podcast, you know I've rooted for Soroka and to come back from his injuries. And even though he's been traded away, um, I guess that does let me put him on the list because he's not a current Brave anymore. But uh, I will continue to root for Mike Soroka. Uh, and very similar to Avery in that as a 21-year-old, he finished sixth in Cy Young voting, had a magical season, second in rookie of the year. That year, this is the 2019 season. Had a 2.68 ERA and uh, was an All Star that year as well. And I don't know if that's going to be his one great season or if he's going to be able to come back with the White Sox and kind of re- reclaim his career. But I just um, have a ton of respect for Michael Soroka and how he dealt with those injuries to his Achilles and how he came back um, and. Just the fact that he got back to the big leagues is a big deal, and I think is something we, as Braves fans, should be really proud about that he was a Brave. Uh, so, Michael Soroka, the last of my honorable mentions, guys. All right, guys. So uh, the time has come. We've 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 gotten through my honorable mentions. You know, I I went through uh, all the guys that were too good to to mention on this list, and so now we are finally on to uh, my top six non-stars, with the Braves. All right. So let's go to number six, a guy that some of you might have forgotten was a brave because he only played one season with the Braves. But when he came up as a rookie, he quickly became one of my favorite Braves to watch. Um, and I was super depressed when the very next off season, John Sherholtz traded him away. Thanks a lot. Sherholtz. Uh, (laughs) anyways, yeah, Jermaine Dye was a brave in 1996 came up. He, um, uh he only played his rookie season with the Braves actually finished 6th in rookie of the year voting that year uh of course Andrew Jones also came up in 96 and so i think die maybe his story, all that stuff, gets overshadowed by Andrew Jones, and and maybe rightfully so in some regards. But man, I remember dreaming on both those guys. These guys are going to be fixtures of the Braves for years and years. And of course, Andrew Jones was. and Maine Die was not, but Die played an important role in that season. He appeared throughout the playoffs. Of course, the Braves went to the World Series against the Yankees in 96. Yeah, you know, that, that's not a fond memory for Braves fans, that World Series. And Dye didn't play particularly great as a young player in that World Series. That being said, he did play well throughout most of that season. And then in the offseason he got traded to the Royals for Keith Lockhart and Michael Tucker and you know looking back I already mentioned one of the worst trades in Braves history or Sherholtz history trading um, Grissom and David Justice for uh, for Kenny Lofton well in the same offseason uh, right before um, right before spring training actually this move was made um, and I guess in one regard, it makes sense. The Braves got two starters for the price of one. They got a starting second baseman in Keith, Keith Lockhart and a starting right fielder in Michael Tucker. But neither of those guys had high ceilings at all. Um, and they were just kind of, I wouldn't say they were fillers. They had some good games and good moments, but, um, you trade Jermaine Dye, uh, who was a potential, even in back then, he was at least a potential all-star caliber right fielder with many years of control left and uh, it was a head scratcher for me even at the time as a teenager but still a head scratcher to me to this day you know Jermaine Dye was not he you know he just fits into my parameters here he wasn't um a great, great player, but he was a very good player for a lot of years. He was a two-time All-Star. He had a great season in 06, was fifth in the AL MVP race that year, and also in 06, he was the World Series MVP as the White Sox won the World Series. So I have often wondered what his career would have looked like if he'd stayed with Atlanta. Uh, He was a Power hitter, very good hitter. He ended up with 325 career homers. Um, he won a gold glove early in his career, uh, but he wasn't known as a great defensive player. You know how, how the gold glove can be sometimes, it can go to guys that aren't actually that great defensively, but he won a gold glove. But if you go to fan graphs, almost all of his value was offensive. Uh, but man, I really liked die I liked his, um, approach of the plate and his power potential. And unfortunately he moved on early in his career. All right. My number five guy, you know, we're going six up to one. So my number five guy is Julio Franco, you know, Julio, such a unique career. And Julio is the guy, I'm actually making an exception to my, uh, to my parameters here. And, you know, It's my podcast, so I can do that if I want to. Uh, I'm I'm trying not to break the rules too much, but Julio is such a unique case that I think in a way I'm not breaking my rules because you can almost break, break up Julio's career into two careers, his early career and his late career. So, you know, Julio became a brave in 2001 at the ripe old age of 42 years old uh in you know before that he had already had a full career um he was a great player, a middle infielder and DH in the American League. Uh, and actually, from 1989 to 91, these were his best years, and they were with the Texas Rangers. Um, he had a combined war of 17.3 over those three seasons, hitting 318. Um, During those three seasons combined and then capped it off winning the AL batting title in 1991 and also winning the AL MVP that season. So, you know, Julio was a star in the late 80s and early 90s, you know, by 1994. Julio, uh, was still a good player, but you know, the strike happened during that year and he made a very interesting decision to play in Japan. Um, and basically what that did was it sacrificed his 95 season. So Julio does come back to the big leagues in 96 and 97, uh, plays okay, but not great. Then goes back to Japan for, uh, two more years. And then it's like he's trying to get back to the major leagues again, but he's in his, Late 30s, early 40s, there are no takers. And then finally in 2001, the Braves signed him as a backup first baseman. And, uh, you know, everybody could kind of roll their eyes. I mean, this old guy, what's he trying to do to get back into the league? And, And guys, he was a key contributor for the Braves for many years And it's always been remarkable to me how he was able to play and hit at a pretty high level well into his 40s. So to me, his most impressive season was his age 45 season. He had 361 plate appearances, which is, you know, over half of, you know, most guys who play every day get about 600 played appearances. So he was playing significant baseball at age 45 and had a 1.2 F war. And so, again, if you extrapolate that over a full season, that's basically a two win player at the age of 45, which is remarkable to me. Julio retired at the age of 48 with nearly 2,600 hits, Um, 2,600 hits. And I've always wondered if he didn't leave to go to Japan, uh, you know, and lose some seasons in the major leagues, maybe he gets to 3000 hits. And even though he played forever to get those hits, uh, there's no player in the history of baseball who's gotten to that mark and is not in the hall of fame. So, he didn't get there, and I don't think Julio is going to make the Hall of Fame. But um, he was a guy that every time he came up to bat, uh, I assumed he was going to get a hit. He always gave you a, a good at bat, and I was just always blown away by how a guy was able to play that far into um, his 40s. And actually, he played into his mid 50s in independent ball. He just kept playing baseball, and uh, he loved the game, obviously. And that unique batting stance. You know, I just say a career as unique as his batting stance, P- pointing the barrel of the bat at the pitcher, and be able being able to get his hands around to the baseball is just remarkable. All right, guys, our number four or my number four favorite Braves non-star, Mar- Marcus Giles. Marcus Giles, five eight second baseman. Uh, this guy is like the classic underestimated player. You know, he drafted in the fifty third round. Those rounds don't even exist anymore. Now the MLB draft is only, it only goes to the 20th round. So, uh, you know, this is a guy that was easy to root for for me. You know, we're basically the same height, same size. I could kind of see myself in Marcus Giles a little bit. And uh, this just gritty second baseman who worked hard. And honestly, I think he got the most out of himself. And uh, if not for some injuries and a quick decline, I think he could have had Um, a really terrific career and he had some terrific seasons with the Braves and it, you know, it was a brief window, but when he was with the Braves playing, uh, as their starting second baseman, he was maybe my favorite player on the team at the time. Um, you know 53rd rounder you have to prove yourself on a level that basically no one else does and he offensively was just always great in the minor leagues the question was could he play defensively at second base but when uh he basically forced the braves to bring him up as their backup or part-time second baseman for his first two seasons and then in 2003 um he got a chance to be the starting second baseman for the Braves, and he did not disappoint. 03 was a magical season for Marcus Giles. He, um, You can see the numbers there on the screen if, if you're watching on YouTube. He hit 316 with a 390 on on-base percentage and a 526 slugging percentage that season. He hit 21 home runs. He was an all-star. And he finished 18th in the MVP vote that season. Good for, according to fan graphs, good for a 5.2 F war season. If you look at um, baseball reference, he's over a six war season, how how they um, kind of, you know, uh, calculate the war differently on baseball reference. So they like his season a little bit more. But in in perspective, guys. Ozzie Albies, as much as we all love Ozzie and he's a great second baseman, he's never had a season that great, Um, and Marcus Giles did in 2003. Now, um, about midway through 2004, Giles had a really bad collision with Andrew Jones. You There was a blooper in between them, and Giles just gets crushed by Andrew full speed, breaks his collarbone, obviously misses time during that season. And I've never heard this for certain, but I always thought that that injury did something to Giles. And, you know, he just kind of diminished from there. He had a solid 2005. It's like his power uh, wasn't quite there anymore. And then after 05, rapid decline. He had a not very good 06 season with the Braves. Um, and then he moves on to San Diego, plays one year with his brother. Uh, of course, Brian Giles, the really good outfielder. Uh, And um, then after the 07 season, he's out of baseball. So a very brief seven year career for Giles, that one great magical season in 03 where he put it all together. But honestly, during his entire time with the Braves, 06 was the only time where he really didn't play all that well. And you, you have that, that decline going on for him. But, you know, Giles had some awesome moments. Uh, his first home run in the big leagues was a grand slam in the eighth inning off of Mike Hampton to beat, uh, to beat the Rockies. Uh, he also had a postseason home run off of Kerry Wood. I mean, just some really cool moments for Giles. And anytime, you know, he's just a, uh, uh, this short second baseman that, you know, we love with Ozzie Albies, too. It's just a very similar kind of thing with him and and him being a 53rd rounder and coming out of nowhere. Uh, you know, he has an all-star brother, but he's able to make an all-star team. And uh, man, I always just really liked Marcus Giles. All right, my number three guy is a guy that is very well known across Braves country, and that's Sid Bream. And honestly, because of Bream and the moment of sliding home and, uh, you know, taking the Braves into the uh, 1992 World Series, uh, who doesn't love Sid Bream? He was the Braves' primary first baseman from 1991 to 1993. Um, and this guy was. You know, m- many of you might know this story, but John Sherholtz becomes the GM um, in ninety one as um as Bobby Cox moves back into the dugout, he had been the GM. So Sherholtz comes over from Kansas City. Um, and his role, he knows that he has a good young team with the Braves, but they need to be surrounded by some veteran leadership and guys with high character. So he brings in Sid Bream and he brings in Terry Pendleton. And of course, Terry Pendleton was able to not only bring leadership, but a lot, you know, on the diamond as well. He wins the 91, uh, MVP and um, continues to play really well for the Braves for multiple years. Sid Bream was a solid first baseman. Uh, I don't know he was ever a star in any way, shape, or form, but he did bring high character and definitely another uh, veteran leader to this young Braves team. Uh, Yeah, solid bat. Uh, solid glove, but probably the slowest runner in baseball at the time. He had had multiple knee surgeries. Um, and so, no, not fleet of foot for sure. And so that's what makes his slide home from second base uh, on Francisco Cabrera's single so special. I mean, he said in interviews that, yeah, I was slow, but I ran from second to home as fast as I possibly could in that moment. I cut the bag as perfectly as I've ever cut a bag and slid home. And if he didn't do that, right, if he'd been a little slower coming around third, um, he would have been out. It's, it was that close. So, you know, his slide home was one of my greatest childhood memories. It was my greatest sports moment of my childhood um, as an eight-year-old watching that. And man, uh, just so special. And I've heard Bream speak multiple times since then. Just as solid of a guy as you could uh, hope, and definitely went down in Braves history uh, as one of the most special moments uh, in Braves history, and really in baseball history, was this uh, this slide home. Okay, guys. So the next Brave, my number two all time favorite non-star Brave is going to surprise some of you guys, and I'm going to definitely have to explain myself here a little bit. So my number two is Lonnie Smith. And so for a lot of Braves fans, Lonnie Smith is remembered in a negative way because of his base running blunder in the 1991 World Series. A very strong argument can be made that if Lonnie Smith... Um, doesn't make this base running mistake in 91, the Braves win the 91 World Series. So if you don't know that story, let's get this out of the way early, okay? If you don't know that story, uh, Lonnie Smith is on first base, nobody out, top of the eighth inning in the 91 World Series. This is Game 7. It is a 0-0 zero, zero game. Uh, Terry Pendleton hits a, a double to the left field gap, and Lonnie Smith, with his speed, should easily score from first base. Um, for some reason, it looks like he lost the ball, but he just pauses at second base for a crazy amount of time. He only makes it to third, so now it's, it's second and third. Nobody out. Now, in that moment, you're still feeling as a Braves fan like they should at least score one run. We're going to win this game. You have Ron Gantt, uh, David Justice, and Sid Bream coming up next. Um, and Gantt dribbles out to first base. Justice is walked, and Sid Bream hits into a double play. And that's the end of the inning. Uh, the game goes into extra innings, and the Twins win in the 10th, one to nothing. Many people believe this is the greatest World Series in history, and the Braves are on the losing end of it, and in large part because Elani Smith and his mistake, his base running mistake, even though it wasn't all on him. I mean, you know, they they still could have got him in from third, but obviously, if he just makes that read correctly, the Braves probably win the ninety-one World Series. So, why is he my number two guy? Well, you know, guys, I was seven years old when I chose Lonnie Smith as my first favorite player. And uh, I can't tell you exactly why I did that other than I think I just liked his style. He played with style and flash. You know, he was in his mid thirties by this point. He'd had his career. I didn't know all that. I just really liked Lonnie Smith. I liked his swing. Um, and I think I could, even as a little kid, tell that there was something special about Lonnie Smith. And there was something special and something really unique about Lonnie, but I didn't know it at the time. But, uh, let me tell you a little bit about Lonnie Smith. He has one of the most unique careers in baseball history. And if you don't know the story, I'm not going to tell you the whole story. I'll be a con, I'll give you a condensed version. If you want to know, most of the story, I really want you guys to go to uh, another YouTube video called Pretty Good Episode 3 Lonnie Smith. If you just um, search that out on YouTube, I highly recommend it. Um, a little bit of language, I'll just tell you that right now, but a um, <laughs> it will give you the basically the full story of Lonnie Smith, one of the most unique careers in baseball history. But I'll, again, I'll give you the short version. So Lonnie Smith was the number three overall pick in the 74 draft by the Phillies. And he's coming out of Compton, right? Compton, California, notorious. I don't have to tell you all the things that, you know, Compton's known for, but just to get out, get out of Compton and to uh, be the third, the third pick in the draft is pretty special in and of itself. Um, he makes his debut in 78. And in 1980, he finishes third in rookie of the year voting for the Phillies and wins the World Series with the 1980 Phillies. So pretty special way to start your career. He moved on to St. Louis and in 1982, he's on the great St. Louis team that also wins the World Series, but he's not just a a part player in that. Uh, Lonnie Smith finished second in MVP voting in 1982 and was arguably their best player um, now while he's on the St. Louis Cardinals, this Cardinals team was notorious for drug use and I'm not making that up. You can go and it's pretty easy to find all, all those stories, but Lonnie was right in the middle of that and maybe was, um, the, the, the worst of it all. I mean, he said that I, I basically should have died because of the level of cocaine use I was, um, involved in at the time. So he's able to, uh, eventually, uh, get out of that lifestyle. And, but he moves on and is traded to the Kansas city Royals in 85. Now what happens in 85 for Kansas city, they win a world series. And so here he is in the middle of his career and he's already won three world series with three different teams. And at the time he was only the the second player in major league history to do that. um, the other guy was Bullet Joe Bush, who played in the 1910, 1910s and 1920s. Now, since then, one other guy has done it. You guys might know this. Will Smith, who played for the Braves and then won it with the Astros and the Rangers this past year. So now there are three guys who've done it. Uh, and Will Smith did it in three straight years, which is pretty crazy, but Lonnie did it as well. And of course, if Lonnie had won the 91 world series with the Braves, um, he would be the only guy to win four, but Lonnie Smith played in five world series. You know, he was a major contributor on all these teams that he played with. Um, but Kansas city, you know, he really had some struggles too. Um, he started, his performance was going downhill, maybe because of that uh, past drug use um and then also he lost playing time because Bo Jackson suddenly starts playing with the Royals and he he gets benched and he thinks he's being blackballed by the current or sorry at the time the general manager of Kansas City was John Sherholtz none other than uh Hall of Famer with the Braves, GM John Sherholtz. So Lonnie Smith came to hate John Sherholtz, believing he was being blackballed out of baseball. Sherholtz wouldn't trade him. And actually, there's some pretty good evidence that Lonnie was being blackballed by John Sherholtz. So he goes home, and all of this is... Um, is true and recorded, and you guys can research it if you want to. I'm not making this up. Uh, It's one of the craziest stories in baseball history. So Lonnie Lonnie Smith goes home and literally plans to kill John Sherholtz. Uh, he, uh, He purchases a handgun uh, and goes home and does a practice shot in his backyard and it actually clips him in the hand and he's bleeding all over the place. And he just kind of decides this is stupid. I'm not going to do it now, uh, but he still hates John Sherholtz. That's for sure. About a week later, Bobby Cox, who's the general manager of the Braves at the time, along with Henry Aaron, who Hank was um, in the front office for the Braves at that time as well. Um, They call up Lonnie Smith and say, hey, we want you to play for the Braves, but you're going to have to go down to AAA first and work your way back. And so he signs a minor league contract with the Braves in 1988 and is able to make his way back to the majors by the end of that season. Now, in 88, the Braves were pretty bad, right? These were the the uh, the last place Braves of the late '80s. But in '89, Lonnie Smith has one of the most remarkable comeback seasons in big league history, uh, and he guys, Lonnie Smith just I, he had something to prove, right? Uh, he is the starting left fielder for the Braves throughout that entire season, and he finishes with an 8.8 WAR season. And if you watch that YouTube video that I mentioned earlier, uh, it's, it does a really good job of expressing just how crazy and special this season was. So guys, for reference, as great of a season as Ronald Acuna just had, it was an 8.3 WAR season. Lonnie Smith had an 8.8. There are many, many Hall of Famers who never had an 8.8 WAR season. Uh, it's just nuts to think that Lonnie Smith, in his mid-30s, um, coming off of all the years that, that he was coming off of, did this, and he did it in only 134 games played. Um, if, if you extrapolate that out to 162 games played, it is the greatest season by any position player in Major League history. Uh, so Lonnie Smith was special. He just had a crazy career. And, you know, he uh, he gave some interviews basically saying and admitting that, you know, obviously I shouldn't have done drugs. And it probably robbed me of maybe, I mean, he doesn't say it out loud, but like maybe, you know, Hall of Fame. And he probably would have been a French Hall of Famer if he hadn't had those lost years in Kansas City. But, yeah, I mean, Lonnie Smith was... Um, a special player. He had a special season in 89 with the Braves. By the time the Braves become good again in 91 and 92, he's really starting to become a part time player, but he still had some really great moments. You know, the, the the bad thing about the 91 um, base running blunder is—he had three big home runs in three straight games in the '91 World Series. There's an argument that he he might have been the World Series MVP uh, if the Braves had won uh, that Game Seven against the Twins. And then in the 92 World Series, uh, he hit a big grand slam in game five. And, of course, the Braves lost in six, but um, it wasn't Lonnie's fault uh, that time. So, yeah, Lonnie Smith will always have kind of a special place for me. I know some of you guys probably can't get, get over what he did and that blunder on the base pass, and I certainly understand that. But, man, what a crazy career he had. And, I again, I really encourage you guys to go watch that video I mentioned earlier. All right, well, let's go on to my number one non-star brave of all time, Ryan Klusko. I loved Ryan Klusko. I just always rooted for the guy. I loved how he um, expressed himself in the dugout um, and, and on the field as well. He was just your classic, well, let me say this, he came across as your classic just power hitter, like pure power hitter. And honestly, Ryan Klusko was more than just a power hitter. He was a really, really good all around hitter. And he came up with the Braves in 92. Uh, just as a rookie, you know, 92 and 93, he came up uh, just with a cup of coffee as a September call up. 94, he full on gets his shot to play every day with the Braves and does so all the way through 99. Um, you know, Clusco's coming up for my time. You know, this is like my teen years. And when I really was fully invested in watching every game uh, with the Braves. And again, I love Clusco. And Fred McGriff, you know, those were my two guys during the '90s. Um, he he did have these massive swings. When he hit a home run, it was really fun. He was the uh, you know he did the bat flips before bat flips were cool and um, and accepted across baseball. Uh, and again, he was kind of known for his. His exuberance in the dugout, especially when he hit home runs. This was, you know, it's one of my most fond memories. He would hit a home run. He'd go back in the dugout. He'd want to just find all his teammates and talk about how awesome the thing he did. You know, he wanted to talk about his home run and Skip Carey, who I also uh, love. Would always point it out and kind of you know laugh and make fun of him a little bit and have a good time with it. But uh, yeah, Ryan Klusko, you know, man, what a, what a great hitter he was in the 90s. 95 was probably his best overall season. He hit 310 with 23 home runs and over a 600 slugging percentage, uh, which is good for a 156 WRC plus, which is just insane. And, um, guys, remember that 95 was a shortened season. They only played about 145 games. So that's why his home runs were a little lower. That number was a little lower. But um, he was honestly a great hitter throughout his entire career with the Braves. As a Brave, he hit 281, uh, 361 on base, and a 520 sl- 525 slugging percentage, which is, that would be a really good season, right? But he did it uh, for his career as a brave another way to uh, measure that that was um his career as a brave a 126 wrc plus and for reference austin riley this past year had a 128 wrc plus just in one really good season for riley so again klusko did that for his career as a brave um it always frustrated me a little bit bobby cox would pull him uh against most lefties so klusko rarely had um like a full season's worth of plate appearances. And I always wondered, cause he was a very good all around hitter, not just a power hitter. And I always wondered if Bobby would have put him in against lefties earlier in his career, if he could have played every day and maybe his numbers would have been that much better, but, um, hard to know that for sure. But, uh, yeah, Klusko, was just a really good hitter. He moved on. He played eight of his 16 seasons with the Braves, moved on and played uh, most of the rest of his career with the Padres. He actually made one all-star team with the Padres. You know, Klusko is kind of also known for his not very good Left field defense, which actually, if you go to fan graphs, and I didn't realize this until I pulled up fan graphs, but um, his left field defense wasn't as bad as maybe we remember it. You know, he came up as a first baseman, was forced to move to left field when Fred McGriff came in, you know, via trade. And actually played pretty solid, slightly negative, but pretty solid left field defense. The funny thing to me is once he moved to first base with the Padres, um, he was a much worse defensive first baseman <laughs> than he was left fielder. I think if Klusko came up to today, yeah, he'd probably be a DH. Um, but again, an excellent hitter. I think his teammates loved him. Uh, He had some really big hits and big home runs, uh, including in the 95 World Series, part of that 95 World Series team, and um, yeah, I always just really loved when Klusko hit a home run. It was one of my favorite things. Well, guys, that's my list. My top six non-star Braves, guys that I always rooted for and loved watching, and I'm sure you have some... Uh, some Braves out there of, of past seasons that you could think of too that I didn't include. But hopefully this was a fun trip down memory lane for you. And um yeah, you know, we are lucky as Braves fans to have just such a long and um and storied history. Uh especially in in the recent past. You know, the last thirty years has been pretty good run for the Braves.